in this in-ear insights, what do you do with your analytics when you are data poor? So this is a question that came up when I was on the road uh, recently. I was in Canada at a, at a speaking gig doing a talk on predictive analytics, which was kind of fun because I haven't done that one in a while. And one of the folks said, I love this. This is this is great. This makes sense. Canada as a whole is a data poor nation. Uh, we don't have the same federal agencies like the U.S. does that provides all this great data. And it would be nice to be able to forecast you know, this industry stuff. What do we do when we're data poor? Not the individual company, but like the, mm -hmm. the consortiums, the public agencies, they just don't have data. So Katie, what do you do when you are data poor? That's such a good question because I feel like you know, we take for granted the fact that in the United States, we are not data poor. If anything, we are overwhelmed with the amount of data out there. Our challenge is finding the good quality data that we can really trust. But there's no shortage of data that we can use. So I would say to someone who feels like they are data poor, the first place to start is to try to find something similar enough. So, you know, can can these Canadian resources use a proxy? So a proxy being like, can they look at European data or United States data or Australian data? Is it close enough? And so there's a there's obviously a lot to unpack with that, but that would sort of be my first instinct. You know, Chris, what would you say? So a couple of the answers I gave was, one, there are data sources that are geographically agnostic that you have access to. So Google search trends, for example, is planet-wide. You can see how many people are searching for uh, flights to Edmonton or flights to Cairo or flights to you know Melbourne and and get that information. And it's it's good. It's clean. It's from you know one or more search engines. Google Trends has it. Uh, Microsoft Bing has some of that data that's available as well. And you can extract that data out. You can get it out of good SEO tools. You can get like a three-year retrospective out of SEMrush for some for some terms, which is pretty terrific. Um, you have competitors and you can get competitor data. Again, a tool like SEMrush will let you type in a domain name and get three years of back data on it, which is pretty incredible. So if you say, if you know, for example, maybe you make, I don't know, left-handed smoke shifters and you go to, you know, the, the lefty, the lefty I'm making this up. <laughs> you can get that domains month over month traffic for three years. And to your point, it may not be in your locale of geography, but if you know that's your, your where your competition is, you've got that data. You can do some forecasting with that. And you have, of course, social media data. Social media is uh, geographically agnostic as well. There are great tools like TalkWalker or Brand24 that can do listening on broad topics, bring all that data in. And it's in many cases, it's not just the trend data, but it's actually the raw verbatims themselves. So you can bring in mm -hmm. the things people are saying on reddit or youtube or whatever they whatever the, the the network formerly called twitter is these days and have that data and, and be able to do stuff with it too so there are data sources that even if your your country of origin doesn't produce you can still have access to i want to go back to uh google trends i feel like that is the unsung hero of you know marketing data it's been around for a long time you can get what up to 14 years worth of data, 15 years at this point, 20, 20 years of historical data. Now with the caveat that the term itself has to have existed. So you can't go back 20 years and get data on generative AI because it didn't exist at the time, but Google trends is free. They don't ask you to log in. You just go there and you can break it down by ge geographic location, but you can also break it down 
even more, you know, discreet than that. So you have worldwide, you have country, you have state, you know, it's really interesting how specific you can get. And then you can go down by date. So right now we're looking at 2004 to present, which is crazy that they have 20 years worth of data. They also have categories. Uh, so their categories are the different verticals. So you have, you know, science and shopping and sports and travel. So if you're in the tourism, you might look specifically for uh, travel. And then they have another drop down that you can change, which is web search, image search, news search, Google shopping, YouTube search, because YouTube is part of the Google ecosystem. And so you can really do some powerful things with Google Trends data. I it breaks my heart a little bit that more people don't use this as a data source because once you figure out what you want and you can compare terms, you can export the data and do analysis with it, specifically predictive forecasting. And to your point, Chris, it's complete, it's clean, it's good quality, and it's just it's just not used enough. Another one that very people, few people remember exists is the Google Books Engram Viewer. This goes back to 1800. Right? So you can look for specific terms, words, and phrases. The last uh, corpus update is five years ago. So it's the English corpus goes to 2019. Let's look at artificial intelligence because I'm, I'm genuinely curious. <clears throat> that term really, the first time you see it in books is as early as 1899, <clears throat> right? And then, of course, you see its prominence come up in the 50s when the field of AI really began as a discrete research industry. You saw a big spike in the, the early, the mid-1980s uh, in a lot of books. And now, of course, you're seeing the resurgence of it in the modern era. But this lets you see data, you know, how often a term appears in language in books for mm -hmm. centuries. And that, again, it's a rich data source that is not being used by marketers, you know, and so to the question of what do we do if we're data poor, the answer is there is no possible way you can be data poor with these resources. Now, of course, it depends on what it is you're trying to do. So the first thing you should probably do is run through the five P's, which is purpose, people, process, platform, performance. So uh, in the example of Canadian tourism, what is the purpose of doing a predictive forecast? Who are the people who need to be involved? What is the process? What platforms? And then what is the performance? And I would even say I got it wrong with the purpose because I'm already choosing a process. I'm saying, what is the purpose of a predictive forecast? You need to not choose the thing in the purpose. You need to say, I want to uh, understand the trends of tourism so that I can build on it. And that might tell you, okay, predictive forecast is the right methodology or it's something else. But basically the point is go through the five piece process, do some user stories first, and then you can start to figure out, do I have this data in-house or do I need to go to these external sources? And as we're seeing, there's no shortage of external data, but it depends on what it is you want to do. So Chris, uh, you know, one of the questions is probably like, okay, that's great if I want to create content. What if I'm trying to do email marketing? Can I use those same data sources for email marketing? Of course, you can use the same data sources for anything. If you're predicting behavior, behavior is at the person level, not the marketing channel level. The format of your your marketing co uh, creative will vary. Like you, what you put in your email should not be what you put on TikTok. But 
Absolutely. You want, because time series forecasting is about predicting when something will happen. When is something likely to happen? We know, for example, we work with a number of people in the travel and tourism industry. We know there are specific times a year when people are looking for very specific things. Like people are looking for vacation packages in the early part of the year. Like they're trying to figure out what, what are we going to do this year? We're going to go this year. What's, you know, what kind of vacation? What can we afford this year? You always see very popular churches, like cheap vacation packages and things. And one of the things to keep in mind as you're doing predictive analytics is to say, okay, when the 5P process is super important, but you have to do two versions of it. You have to do the version for you operationally. How are you going to take this data and make it, you know, make something out? But you also have to do the five P's from the customer's perspective. So if you are in travel, what is the purpose? What is somebody traveling for? Why are they vacation? They just want to go someplace. Are they, do they want to go someplace sunny? Do they want to have a unique cultural experience? Do they want to have an adventure? Do they just want to lie on a beach and eat bonbons? I'm like, you know, there's a lot of different purposes to travel. <laughs> Me? Yes, please. I don't know what bonbons are, but I would like to just lie on the beach. Uh, they are pieces of ice cream covered in chocolate. Okay, I'm out. I'll just... <laughs> the people, who are the people involved? Some people are solo travelers. Some people are group travelers. Some people are family travelers. Right? You, you need to know who those people are. What is the process for which they make a travel decision? Are they constrained by budget? Right? Are they constrained by destination? Uh, something like only, I want to say, 40% of Americans even have a passport, right? So if you are an international travel destination, you automatically have disqualified 60% of the American audience because they can't leave the country. Uh, well, they can, but they can never come back. What are the platforms people use to search for travel? And that's not just Expedia or Kayak or Google, but also word of mouth, mm -hmm. social media, TikTok trends. How do people get information? And then how do people make decisions? So the performance in, in from the audience's perspective is here's the decision I'm going to make. I'm going to go on a cruise. I'm going to go on a Rocky Mountain adventure. How do the people make those decisions? How does that performance happen? And how is it brought to life? And so I would strongly encourage people, as you do the five Ps, you have to do your version for you and the version for your audience. Otherwise, if you, if you make decisions solely based on you and not the audience as well, you will miss the boat. Possibly. Literally. I mean, that's... <laughs> it's a best practice in general as you're going through user stories always make sure you're creating at least one from the perspective of your audience because what do they need because it isn't just about you and so that's a you know the travel is a really good example because you know we start to introduce bias as we're creating these requirements of like well i don't like to fly so nobody else must like to fly so i'm just only going to show you know destinations you can get to by train or by car well, that excludes a lot of destinations, especially if you're somewhere that's landlocked. And so you really have to think beyond just what you want, even if you don't realize that's what you're doing. And this is why it's also really good to get more more than just yourself involved in creating uh, these user stories and running through the five P's. Because, you know, Chris, you and I travel very differently. We like to have very different experiences. Like, so I would be thinking, okay, great. Where are places that I can drive to, that I can, you know, be in the mountains, I can be disconnected from the internet, I can bring dogs to, it can be quiet. And you're probably looking for, let me find a different cultural experience, you know, let me be as, you know, internet connected as possible so that I can like really immerse myself and get into it. You don't mind crowds, I don't like crowds. So like, it's a very different approach and so we collectively would need to be creating these requirements because we have different perspectives especially when it comes to travel it's a very 
personal unique experience. You can't just try to create it for everybody just from your own singular experience. Exactly. So if you have, this is one of the other things people forget, you have your own data. If you are marketing mm -hmm. on behalf of a company, you have data through the funnel, right? So you have who shows up on your website. You have who shows up, fills out a form. You have who plays a video. You have who books something or buys something on your website or through an agent or whatever. And this is not just travel and tourism. This is every right. company. You have that data. You probably have that data over time, unless you are unless you're a startup that just opened up last week. You have that data of some form over time, and therefore you can forecast it. And to your point, Katie, you can also segment it. And if you have enough data, you can se forecast the segments as well. So, who are the buyer? For example, with Trust Insights, if you were someone who has bought a course from us, who are our course buyers? Can we forecast? the course buyers and are they different than people who hire us to do say analytics uh, governance you have the data to mm -hmm. your point no one is really data poor in mm -hmm. the sense of yes it may not be made for you you may have to generate it but the data does exist and that's a really important part is that you can if the data does if the data doesn't exist that is an opportunity for your mm -hmm. business or your organization to establish a leadership perspective position within your industry because you can be the source of that data so for example if you are in travel right and and no one else has this information about you know what the buyer is interested in if you've got the money run some surveys use a certain platform like SurveyMonkey or mailchimp or one of the, the many platforms that offer surveying start running surveys start running focus groups start running you know interviews you can even start collecting information from public data sources so for example if you could take if, if you have the time this is a time thing not a money thing you could type in you know vacation packages uh, ideas on youtube download all the videos transcribe them all you can do this for free with ai and then search for it and say oh, how often you know what destinations are most commonly mentioned now you've got your 2024 travel forecast from the top videos about travel on youtube now you've got your 2024 travel forecast and you can figure out well here's the data we have now that we've generated it what can we do with it and i think the what can we do with it is a really important question because i think there's a misunderstanding that you have to create a new analysis for every for every use case uh, one of the first talks I ever gave on stage was at Inbound in 2018, and it was five use cases of predictive analytics. And so what I basically did was I took one instance, one analysis of a predictive forecast, and I walked through the customer journey. And I said, if you're driving awareness, use your one analysis like this. If you're driving consideration, use your one analysis like this. And the analysis never changed. The context changed. And that's one of the reasons why a predictive forecast is one of my favorite analyses, because it's so flexible. It's just a matter of you, the human, deciding what else can I do with this one thing. So it's like finding a really good, you know, piece of craft supply and taking that one thing and turning it into like multiple different crafts. And you're really stretching it and figuring out like, what else can I do with this thing? Take that same approach with your analysis. So don't do, okay, I have to do one analysis for awareness and I have to do another analysis for consideration. And I have to do another analysis for purchase. See how much, see how far you can get with that one predictive forecast and all of those different contexts. So the caveat there is that you need to understand who the people are in each of those stages of your data-driven customer journey. But once you know that, you can then apply one single predictive forecast.
Exactly. So again, a lot of that can come from qualitative research, right? If you can get 10 people on the phone and talk to them for 15 minutes about their buying process from you, one of the, one of the best things to do as a business, regardless of your industry, is to talk with your existing customers, assuming that you know you're still working with the same decision maker, and say, "How did you choose us? Why did mm -hmm. you choose us? What and you know, now that you've worked with us uh, for however you know short or long, what are the things that you would add as items for consideration? And what are the things that you know maybe were were not true or not as clear when you were when you were shopping around? Those insights can power search, right? Because mm -hmm. it will change the content of your pages. That will change your social media conversations. It will change what you promote on podcasts and blogs. It will change all of your content. And you can generate that data. So if you are if you feel like you're data poor, you are it's because you're not creating the data. And to your point, Katie, with just that focus group exercise, those one-on-one -on -one interviews, you can generate some data that can be used extensively. Well, and, you know, so to the original question is, what do we do if we're data poor? I think that we've been able to demonstrate that you're just not really looking in the right places. So, you know, definitely look at Google Trends. It's free. What was the other one? The the Ngrams? Google Books Ngram Viewer. I think that that's a really interesting uh, resource. But then, you know, also take a look at the SEO tools like SEMrush or Ahrefs, take a look at the social scheduling tools like Sprout Social or TalkWalker or any of those other tools that have the analysis built in and get some information about your nearest competitors to use as a proxy. So when Chris and I started Trust Insights, that's what we did. We didn't have all the historical data on our company. Now that we've been around for almost six years, we have our own historical data, but in the first you know, 18 to 24 months, it didn't exist. We were busy collecting it. So we had to use those other external data sources as a proxy until we had our own, but we never felt like we were data poor. Exactly. Even something as simple as your email newsletter can be a rich source of data, right? How many people opened each issue? How many people clicked on it? What ratings and reviews did you have you gotten on? One of the things that I do in my personal newsletter all the time is there's a there's a a, a weekly survey for each issue. Uh, let me bring that up here so that we can we can just take a real quick look uh, at scroll past like the 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 lengthy stuff, and you'll see a little survey here. Oh, where is it? there? It is. How was this issue? Good, neutral, bad? You know, smiley face, frowny face, flat face. That data goes into Google Analytics, and then that gets turned into charts. And that's so I can visualize, how, you know, the the likelihood by, by topic, although it's been mostly generative AI, of of what people like and don't like. If you have any kind of customer interaction data, right, you want to look at it, test it for seasonality and cyclicality, and then if you can, if it's there, forecast it. Way way back in 2017, you and I were working for a local casino. That was I seven like, oh, that's years just ago. Way way back. <laughs> that's seven years ago. That is way back. All right, um, fair enough. 
<laughs> they gave us just their their floor earnings. So it was slots, tables, and 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 interactive games. And they said, you know, what can you do with this data? We forecasted that data. We did a predictive forecast. We took the five years worth of data that they had, forecasted it forward a year, and we gave them a calendar. And we said, these are the, the the weeks of the coming year that you must have additional marketing promotions in the air to cover up those weak spots when you're going to have revenue shortfalls. They did it. They followed our advice and they saw a 29% year over year increase in revenue, right? Because they took the data that they had because they're not, they weren't data poor and they forecasted and it worked really, really well. Your company or your competitors or your industry has some kind of data like that somewhere and you can make use of it. So to your point, Katie, no one is data poor. It is that you don't know what ingredients you have. It's like saying you don't you, you, don't, you don't have any food in the house, but you actually do. It's just not cooked. You just mm -hmm. have to, to cook it yourself. Well, and I think that that's a really good opportunity just to sort of give a gentle plug that if you think you're data poor, give us a call. Trustinsights.ai slash contact. And we'll take a look at your data. We'll audit your infrastructure. We'll audit your data sources and say, actually, you have all of this data right here. And we will say, actually, to make you feel talked down to. No, I'm just kidding. We won't do that. But what, what we will do is we will help you. We will help you understand all the rich data you do have and show you that you're not data poor. And so we'll help you figure out, here's what I can really do with this information. Maybe we should do it in a live stream sometime. Just do like a live, a live action Let's let's pick something like pick a like a local restaurant client or something. I'll say like okay, sure. let's take the five restaurants nearby, what their websites are, take some of the trend data and things, and just show you how how this stuff all comes together. I think that that's a really good idea because I think that we tend to not just be resourceful enough and take a look around at what we're already you know have access to. Yep, exactly. How do you feel? Are you data rich? Are you data poor? Come tell us in our free Slack. Go to trustinsights.ai slash analytics for marketers, where you and over 3,000 other marketers are repeatedly told that you are data rich on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever does you watch or listen to the show, if there's a channel you'd rather have it on instead, go to trustinsights.ai slash TI podcast, where you can find us on most major podcast channels. And while you're on your channel of choice, please leave us a rating and a review. It does help share the show. Thanks for tuning in. I will talk to you next time. Thank <laughs> you.